0: You're listening to The Exchange on Siouxland Public Media. I'm Mary Hartnett. This week, we have a roundup of the news and important bills coming out of the Iowa legislature. And we talk with a South Dakota lawmaker who is part of the Sisseton-Wapiton tribe about a bill she sponsored that creates an advisory council to oversee the Indian Child Welfare Act. The South Dakota House overwhelmingly approved that bill this week. We also talk with the Senior Director of Business Operations for Ho-Chunk, Inc., Aaron LaPointe. He's just won a National Leadership Award for young leaders under 40. We talk with him about his goals for the future. But first, we check in with Iowa's 4th District Republican Representative Randy Feenstra of Hull. He was in Lawton on Thursday speaking to members of the Lawton Bronson Future Farmers of America as part of National FFA Week. Talking to the students, Feenstra encouraged them to continue in their chosen field of agriculture through college and beyond. After the event, Feenstra was asked about the biggest issues before Congress right now. He told reporters the budget and dealing with immigration were at the top of the list.
1: We're hearing it from our sheriffs with, with the drugs coming through, from our hospitals, from, from our school districts and stuff like that. This is the, the, the topic that has to happen.
0: Feenster told reporters that the pending farm bill was important to the future of farming.
1: We got a big farm bill that we're trying to pass and, and the bottom line is we want to make sure that the next generation can be as successful as the past generations and that we don't have China or we don't have outside uh, organizations buying our farmland and that was a lot of the discussion today.
0: Feenstra also talked about his Future Farmers Act, which was just introduced in the House. It will soon go through the Ag Committee, a committee that Feenstra sits on.
1: Uh, That will happen in the next couple months, and hopefully it can get to the floor along with the Farm Bill. Uh, These are big topics that we're trying to push through. But again, for us, I look at rural Iowa. And we have to make sure that we're protecting that next generation, uh, that that they can buy the farmland, that they can make sure that that they can be uh, successful as they move forward.
0: Beanstra added that reauthorizing farm bill policies like crop insurance was vital to the success of farmers and rural communities.
1: Such a valuable safety net. For the farming community. Uh, We had a drought here uh, right here in Lawton-Bronson and in northwest Iowa last year right so a lot of our producers used crop insurance and if they didn't have crop insurance they'd go bankrupt. So we've got to provide that safety net. But it's a reauthorization program, and that's very critical.
0: Feenster also discussed another issue he's concerned with. This week, he and another U.S. senator led a bipartisan bicameral letter to President Joe Biden and the director of the Office of Management and Budget, urging the Biden administration to withdraw the Environmental Protection Agency's proposed rule, which would require 67 percent of new light-duty vehicles and 46 percent of medium-duty vehicles to be electric by 2032. Feinster said that in Iowa, EVs are not popular with some people because of their performance in cold climates and access to other fuels.
1: We have biodiesel, we have ethanol, and we have great vehicles for fuel, and yet mandating something that consumers don't want. I mean, it's clear a lot of consumers don't want because of cold weather in, in the Midwest.
0: However, a study from the Iowa Economic Development Authority shows that in Iowa, the EV market is growing. But there are still challenges to lowering the cost of vehicles and building a network of charging stations that can meet drivers' needs. The Iowa EDA says the EV market is poised for substantial growth through 2040. Feenstra finished out the morning saying he's always inspired after returning home to Iowa and talking to young people who are involved in organizations like the Future Farmers of America.
1: When I go to D.C., a large part of the membership has no idea what farming looks like. You know, they come from New Jersey, New York, California, and stuff like that. Coming back home and saying, all right, these are the things that are happening. These are the things that are going to affect you and your ne- the next generation. I mean, these are all the next farmers and uh, producers. And and I'm advocating for them. And I'm going back to Congress and saying, hey, this is what's important. And telling those from other states of this is where your food comes from. right? this is where your meat comes from. And th- quite often people don't understand that. So...
0: Randy Feenstra is one of four members of Congress from Iowa, all of whom are Republican. Feenstra is running for re-election this fall. You're listening to the Exchange on Sooland Public Media. Now we're going to take a look at some of the news out of the State House this week. Iowa House lawmakers approved a three percent increase in state aid for public schools that would put general state funding for K through 12 schools at over three point eight billion dollars for the next fiscal year, and that is nearly one hundred million more than Governor Kim Reynolds had proposed in her budget plan. House Democrats say it's still not enough for schools to avoid budget cuts because of rising costs for insurance and supplies. And Iowa House lawmakers are taking more feedback on their latest proposal to change how schools work with the state's nine area education agencies. Currently, school districts are expected to go to the AEAs for services that are covered by state funding. Under a House plan, school districts would still have to use the AEAs for special education services, but they could take state funding for education and media services and spend it outside of the AEA system. In a public hearing on Wednesday night, some superintendents spoke in favor of options with AEA funding. Even though they value AEA services, they said if they can't find a way to free up money to put back into classrooms, they have to consider it. Spirit Lake Superintendent Dave Smith told House members his district would handle all of the services in-house if it controlled the money.
2: You've taken it this far, it seems like something is
1: probably going to happen one way or the other. And I'm begging you that if you do that, please put the funds towards the school district and let the AEAs earn our business
0: but parents of students with disabilities said they were scared that the current plans working through the legislature could unintentionally harm services they depend upon. They asked lawmakers to take time to closely study the system before moving forward. The House and Senate passed their AEA bills through committees last week, but neither chamber so far has brought up their bill for a vote. And this week, the Environmental Protection Agency finalized a rule implementing the decision by a bipartisan group of eight Midwest governors that would allow year-round sales of E15. And that comes over a year and a half past the statutory deadline to take the action. In the EPA's final rule, the agency delayed implementation from 2024 to 2025 Mati Shaw is the executive director of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. He says the association is glad there's a final rule that will allow year-round sales of E15. But the last-minute delay in implementation means motorists face fewer options and higher prices at the pump this summer. The eight Midwest governors, including Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, submitted their requests on April 28, 2022. The EPA was required by law to take action within 90 days but defied the congressional deadline. Iowa Attorney General Brennan Bird sued the EPA to protect the governor's rights. And in the South Dakota State House, a plan to create a state public defender's office made some progress, but an effort to create an additional funding source for the office by using the state's alcohol tax stumbled in committee. Senators in the Senate Judiciary Committee voted unanimously Thursday to create the new office that will take over appeals, abuse, and neglect cases and habeas corpus appeals. The lawyers who make up the office will also train court-appointed attorneys in criminal defense matters. The State Public Defender's Office will be overseen by the State Indigent Defense Commission. That's made up of nine members appointed by various state officials, and they will serve 12-year terms. Native American children accounted for nearly 74% of the South Dakota foster care system in 2023, despite accounting for only 13% of the state's overall child population. Lawmakers in the South Dakota House approved a bill this week that would create an advisory council to oversee communication on the welfare of Native American children in South Dakota's foster care system. Representative Tamara St. John of Sisseton, an enrolled member of the Sisseton Wahabton trial sponsored the Advisory Council Bill, saying it's a way for stakeholders from tribes, the Department of Social Services, and the South Dakota Legislature to come together at least once a year to hold a formalized discussion about the care of Native foster children. The Council Bill originally had the group meeting four times a year, but St. John brought an amendment that reduced the frequency to once a year. I spoke with St. John about the bill, why it was needed, and what she hopes will happen if it does become law.
3: I work within the Sisseton, Sisseton Wapatin Sioux Tribe, or Sisseton Wapitunoyate, Oyate, and on some of these issues, you know, we learn from each other. When you have all of this amazing institutional knowledge, but they're really only commun- communicating on a daily basis on the sort of critical issues that are happening with individual cases. And I do believe that the state, uh, South Dakota DSS, I have found people that are truly dedicated, truly, truly dedicated and doing amazing work. This is a very heavy lift for a lot of people tribal engagement is often really tough to get these people, you know, together and to be able to have the sort of uh, conversations that I think can make a change.
0: Uh, Tamara, you say even though this is a small step, there was still opposition from some in the state legislature to even go this far in creating this advisory council.
3: And yes, within the opposition, um, the state Uh, did state that this was something that wasn't needed because it happens all the time. If it does, if these meetings are taking place, and there have been sort of, um, I don't even know uh, really what that committee would be called. I've heard them referred to as the um, Indian Child Welfare Act uh, Tribal Coalition I've heard them referred to as uh, tribal consultation, um, all of these. But I've not seen something that would allow a person coming into this to uh, draw from and be able to see where change or what is needed, reporting as legislators. And I feel for my colleagues that, you know, we sit down and we're faced with these huge issues, and you really rely on the data and the advice out there. And and in this instance, I think now it is uh, at a stage where it is so important and so critical. We need all hands on deck. We need everybody at the table. I think the narrow view of looking at the interaction between the state and the tribes as specific only to Indian Child Welfare Act, those sort of engagements, I think it's bigger than that.
0: You say that the Advisory Council could be helpful in working on prevention that would stop these children from being taken out of their homes and, and being put in foster homes. What would that prevention and those prevention efforts look like?
3: We we'll need to be talking about new ideas for child safety, um, the resources that are out there maybe outside the state or tribal realm that can support families, you know, in reunification. We have a lot of other conversations to have. Indian Child Welfare Act is just one part of it. So within this, as an advisory council, it seeks to have not just the state and tribal, which is definitely needed, but also allowing for the expansion of stakeholders.
0: Who are some of these stakeholders you're talking about?
3: We have Stronger Families program. We have those that work with the court system. We have those that work in the area of study within the universities. And some of them also need this engagement and to be able to connect with not just um, state data and families and people and children, but also with tribal. I think that that's important um, in and of itself. And so within this, yes, I, we did have opposition that said First of all, with the task force that was too huge, it was too much money, um, it was too big, and then, you know, I kind of smiled at the comment that, you know, this is only amended down to one meeting, and it is a minimum, or at least one meeting, that certainly doesn't, you know, hold it to just one But it is one meeting more than we've had in the past. So it might be a small first step. It's certainly a doable one. I don't believe that there's a huge cost
0: impact. That was South Dakota State House Representative Tamara St. John. The House approved her bill this week to create an advisory council to oversee communication on the welfare of Native American children in South Dakota's foster care system. The bill will now move on to the state Senate. The council bill originally had the group meeting four times a year, but St. John brought an amendment reducing the frequency to once a year. At the end of that meeting, minutes would be available for lawmakers to refer back if they wanted to bring further legislation. listening to the exchange on Sulan Public Media. I'm Mary Hartnett. The National Center for Indian Enterprise Development has awarded Siouxland's Aaron LaPointe, an enrolled member of the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska, and business director of Ho-Chunk, Inc., as its Native American 40 Under 40 Award winner. The National Award recognizes Native American citizens for outstanding leadership and community contributions. It's bestowed each year upon individuals under the age of 40 nominated by their communities. The point lives in Winnebago. He works as the senior director of business operations for Ho Chunk Inc. I talked with the point about the award, what it means to him and his community.
2: So this is really cool because it's a, it's a recognition award that is around. I mean, all the tribes in Native America, all the way up to Hawaii, Canada, and Hawaii or, and um, Alaska. Wow. So, so it's it's cool to think that um, I could be recognized at this level but but you know my, myself I feel I feel proud for for having my name on this award but it's I like to say it's a it's a reflection of of so many other people it's not I've I've been fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to represent such a great entity and in my tribe but I have I have such a strong support base that that I have to give Recognition to them too. This isn't just this isn't just Aaron LaPointe's Award. This is this is the Winnebago Tribes Award. This is Ho Chunk Inc's Award um, because they've given me this opportunity. So
0: you are the Senior Director of Business Operations for Ho Chunk Inc. Uh, you do an awful lot under that title. There's a lot under that umbrella, isn't there?
2: Yes, for sure. So Ho Chunk Inc is is a is a huge business um, here in. Here in uh, Northeast Nebraska, we're in Sioux City as well. We're all over the country, actually. Um, we're an international company when it comes to a lot of our a lot of our government contracting work. But but myself, I get to do a lot of the local businesses. We have quite a few here in in the Sioux City, Winnebago area, and and it really consists of um, where I started. Uh, I went to school for agriculture, and that's that's what I have my degree in. And so I started at Ho Chunk Farms. That's a local entity there in Winnebago, and that's. That's that was kind of my my foot in the door, and we've been able to make a lot of great things happen at Ho Chunk Farms through through many different efforts. But it also helped me um, helped me grow as a as a professional and and with the support base at Ho Chunk Inc. with our executive team seeing potential in me, they've given me much more opportunities. It's been a great opportunity. It's a lot of learning for me. Like I said, I went to school for agriculture, and and now I oversee convenience stores and cafes in a tobacco manufacturing business, and and I, I do a lot of work with uh, Ho Chunk Capital here in Sioux City now too. And um, it's it's a lot of learning, but but uh, it's a it's a great experience for me to be able to to broaden my knowledge base and find ways to give back to our to our uh, tribally owned business, at Ho Chunk Inc, in, in any way that I possibly can. So. It's. I've been very fortunate to be given that, that opportunity, but also to have the support that I do have with, with our amazing executive team at Ho-Chunk King.
0: One of the areas I've heard so much about in the last few years has been um, promoting food sovereignty and sustainable food production. It seems like you've done so much with that within Ho-Chunk and, and the tribe.
2: Yeah, that's Ho Chunk Farms is my baby. That's where I started. I was an intern in college at Ho Chunk Farms, and when I first started, we were we were just getting into the game, really. Even though it was started in 2012, I started Ho Chunk Farms in 2016. Uh, we were really just starting to um, gain our identity. We really weren't sure what Ho Chunk Farms was going to be. Um, we wanted to farm, but what did that look like for us as a as a tribally owned entity? How do we how do we um, take advantage of 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 what we have for a resource there in Winnebago. and it evolved from running this large scale farm we've this year we're going to be around 7000 acres of of conventional and organic farming but we've also evolved our vision towards towards um, food sovereignty, food sustainability, um, things like that. And that's how we've been able to branch out Ho-Chunk Farms. We do tons of community efforts around the production of fresh produce or our traditional Indian corn or whatever whatever that might look like. If it has to do with agriculture, if it has to do with food, Ho-Chunk Farms probably has their hands on it in some way, shape, or form. So we've been able to evolve that company into into a revenue-generating company that that uh, creates profits for for our local business, but it also creates opportunities. It, it creates food sustainability, food access. Um, we, were in, we were a part of getting that farmer's market built to bring food access to Winnebago, fresh produce, and, and things like that. So, But yeah, I, I still do oversee Ho-Chunk Farms. I do have a new farm manager that we've developed over the, over the past couple of years. So I see... I see a little less of that every day when I take on more responsibility, but Ho Chunk Farms will be, always be my baby. That's kind of where my where my uh, where my comfort is, and that's where my a huge part of my passion is 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 is, is food and agriculture. But I understand that I can offer a ton more to the to the company at many different capacities. So
0: you're listening to the Exchange on Siouxland Public Media. Today we're talking with Aaron Lapointe, an enrolled member of the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska, business director at Ho Chunk Inc. He's the winner of this year's Native American 40 Under 40 Award, which recognizes Native American citizens for outstanding leadership and community contributions. I'm talking to him about his work with Ho-Chunk and Ho-Chunk Farms and basically how they try and do a more holistic kind of business. And what you do, there's a very holistic kind of effect of this because you talk about food sovereignty, food Security, sustainable food, uh, and also enhancing things like uh, the perception of agricultural careers among tribal youth. And that last one, I had not heard much about until recently.
2: Yeah, so we have a we have a saying at Ho Chunk Inc. Um, to do one thing, you have to do everything, and it's 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 kind of the approach we take with a lot of our businesses. And Ho Chunk Farms kind of is doing that same thing. We we we've grown our farm, like I've said, to the scale that we have, and we've broadened it, we've diversified it in many different ways, but we've also we also have to be thinking about the future of Ho-Chunk Farms. It can't just be myself and the other farm manager and our operators. we got to be looking at the next generation that's going to elevate Ho-Chunk Farms to the next level. So we've done a lot in in education when it comes to agriculture. And breaking down those barriers, I went to school for agriculture. I never set foot on a farm in my entire life until I was in college and we went to a research farm. So I did it because I see an opportunity, and now I think we can—, we can we can share that same message because Ho Chunk Farms is going to create tons of opportunity. But how do we create those next leaders? Well, we got to knock down some barriers. We get the, the the perception of, of farming being something that that non natives do. They they farm our land. No, we can knock. We got to get rid of that. We can farm it. We were farmers. We how do we how do we change that that um, perception that's out there? And it, it's it's ourselves. Our, our 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 Native American children think that think that way how do we change that and and that's kind of one of the one of the barriers that we've been trying to trying to tackle so through that we we do a lot of immersion into the schools with our Indian corn projects i do, i do a lot of guest speaking and and things like that for the school and we do it all the way to at the at the um, early childhood development stage, where we we go down, we bring tractors down there to the little kids get to climb on the combine and all that stuff, and that might be something that stimulates them to think, oh yeah, farming is cool. Even at a really small age, they get you gain a little interest over time. Even if out of those hundred kids. Two of them on a farm, one of them on a farm, that's a win for us because we want to we wanna see people grow into that and knock down that perception of of non natives farmer our land. We need to be farming our land, we need to be managing it, we need to be doing it in a like you said, a holistic way. We've got to be looking bigger picture here, not just how much corn can we raise. How are we gonna sustain this land to where my seven generations from now they're still farming the same land and it's still fertile? It's still it's still um, in the same way that we that we left it. So so we do a lot in that, and we actually started an ag school at Loder Priest Tribal College. So now we see a tons of we see it coming full circle from from the beginning of of their lives, really at the at the uh, early childhood development stage, to now we have a diversified ag program um, at Loder Priest Tribal College. That then can they can go on, they get their two two year degree there. We're about to have our first class this year of diversified ag students, and um, one of those students actually works for me part-time to get some hands-on experience. So we partner with Little Priest on those in any way that we can, whether it's internships or part-time work or whatever that looks like. But we're starting to see that we're, we're 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 developing this huge, huge company that's going to be doing all these great things in agriculture. We're also developing individuals along the way for the next, the next wave of leadership too, because that's really what's going to make Cochunk Farms um, take that next step and be here long-term, not fall off when, when the certain leaders leave. So, so we've done a lot in that. And it's been, it's been very well received. It's crazy to think that, um, I was like the, only, I was like, a Lance would always say, what you're studying agriculture. That's crazy. We got a farm. You should come run it. You have a tribal member studying agriculture. And now off, off the top of my head, I can think of about six, about six students in college right now that are studying agriculture. And it was never a thing in the past, but they see opportunity. They see that we can, we can really do this. And we're, we're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Ho Chunk Farms. Ho Chunk Farms is great. Everybody sees everything we're doing. It's great, but we're just starting. I mean, I've only I've only been there seven years, and and I feel like we're just getting started. And it's there's much more to come. And once I see these wave of new leaders coming in and bringing new perspectives and new ideas and new leadership, it's it's there's uh, the opportunities are endless within that uh, division. So.
0: You're still pretty young. You're 32. You've already accomplished quite a bit. Do you look down the road and say, uh, here are three or four things I want to do? Or is it hard to know at this point because things change so quickly?
2: Um, I would say, yeah, I've, I've always been a goal oriented person. I set goals for myself right. and, and I want to reach those. And sometimes I surprise myself and sometimes I I realize I better I got to work just a little bit harder to get to those. But I've there's there's most definitely things that I want to do um, at such a young age Um I see myself contributing to this, to Ho Chunk Inc. Um, at a much higher level um, in the future, and I'm getting a little piece of that. Currently, um, the more and more responsibility I get, but uh, but I see that as something I that I really want to accomplish in the near future is to is to elevate myself to to be a part of those. Big picture ideas, because it's funny people think yeah, Ho Chunk Farms is this huge thing, or some of our divisions, like Ho Chunk Capital, are these huge things. They're a very small part of what Ho Chunk Inc. really does. And so when we when we do our planning and we're strategizing for what what the next steps are, what are the next um, goals for Ho Chunk Inc. as a whole there's a whole another level of thinking that takes place in that setting. And I would, I, I love being a part of that and I feel like I can, I can contribute more to that part. And that's when I start thinking about things that I want to do in the future. And, and that's, that's one of those things. And, and I, one of the main things that is just a growing goal for me, I never, I'm never going to accomplish it, but it's to, it's to make one a a better place in any, any way that I can. And I can say I want, to, I want to help contribute to the housing crisis that we're in, but there's more issues that come up throughout that. How do, so my, my goal is just to make it a better place. There's so many things that we can do, and that those issues continue to grow over time. And so, that's, I mean, that's always a long-term goal for me is make Guanabago a better place because that's where I was born and raised. That's where I lived my entire life. That's where my family is. That's the legacy that all the leaders left behind
0: was Aaron LaPointe, an enrolled member of the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska and business director at Ho-Chunk, Inc. The National Center for American Indian Enterprise Development has named LaPointe its Native American 40 Under 40 Award. This national award recognizes Native American citizens for outstanding leadership and community contributions. That's it for this edition of The Exchange. Thanks to Steve Smith and Mark Munger. I'm Mary Hartnett. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next time.